And if you have your Bibles, we are in Acts chapter 13 as we continue to walk through this incredible book of the Bible. And uh, as you're turning there, um, perhaps you can relate. Uh, I have always been amazed at planes. Uh, I am amazed how these big old um, objects made of metal can carry people and carry cargo and, and literally fly through the air and, and how even in just a couple weeks, uh, we will have a team from our faith family here and along with, with others, we'll go to Memphis Airport, we'll get on an airplane, uh, we'll all wake up in Olive Branch and we'll lay our head down in Honduras. We'll, we'll go to another part of the world and we'll lay our head down all in a day. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And, and where we live, where our house is, we're like on the western edge of Olive Branch and our front porch faces west. And so uh, we just kind of have a clearing out in front of us. And so all day, at least on a clear day, uh, we just see plane after plane after plane taking off. And, and, and except like this week when it rained like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, we don't see them, we hear them, but, but we know they're there. And and it's just amazing. And to think that every single one of those airplanes, they're going somewhere. They're going somewhere. Who knows? They may be going to a nearby state or literally a, across the world. Um, a lot of times when we're in the car and, and the kids, we're, if we're ever driving on Airways Boulevard by the, by the airport, we're just all just like watching and being fascinated with these planes that take off. And there's this little part where you can kind of look over and you just see all these planes and they're, they're just all right there. And, and to think that every single one of those planes were built to fly. Like there is no plane that has ever been built, at least that I know of, that is designed to sit in the hangar. That's designed to just stay put on the tarmac. But rather every single plane that's out there are designed to fly. They are designed to go. That's what they're made to do. And so kind of with the airplanes taking off in front of me and, and just like living in Acts 13 over the past few weeks and even this week especially, I just had that, 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 that illustration of the church being this, this place literally where we're designed to be launched out across our street and literally all over the world. That where airplanes are built and designed to go, the believer, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, that, that we have been rescued and we have been redeemed and we have been forgiven and we have been empowered by His Holy Spirit not to sit on the tarmac and not to sit in the hangar. But rather, we have been designed and empowered to go and to tell. The God's plan A for the world to know is that believers empowered by His Spirit share the greatest news that could ever be shared. So, so, so in the Bible, in Acts, on the kind of the first weekend, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, had spent 40 days pouring and investing into the lives of the, the, the disciples and, and on the day of his ascension, he gathers them there on the Mount of Olives and he tells them, he says, you are going to receive the power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you and, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Like the disciples had no idea what was coming. Like they could never know how this was all going to play out. But as we've walked through the book of Acts, we see how it plays out. That God is always faithful to his word. And, and yet God allowed and used the tool, an instrument called persecution, to be the, the, the tool that's going to fan the flame of the gospel into the uttermost parts of the earth. That in, in Acts 8.1, the gospel had filled Jerusalem. And on that day, Acts 8.1 is the fulfillment and partial of Acts 1.8. Because in Acts 8.1, that's the day. That is the day of the martyrdom of the first Christian uh, martyr named Stephen. He was stoned to death. And the Bible says in Acts 8.1 that there was a great persecution that arose there in Jerusalem. And that because of that persecution, it pushed believers out of the city. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but, but the believers spread into Judea and Samaria of all places. Like for, for, for the gospel to go to Samaria, if you had a Jewish background, that was, that was amazing. That God would have a love for all people. And they understood and saw that God's love for all people. And then not only that, but the gospel continues into where we are in Acts 13 in a city called Antioch. Now, Antioch is like 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And so the gospel is pushing all the way up into Syria and, and it'll obviously go beyond. And I was just curious. I was like, OK, I need to like, what is 300 miles from here? And so I just I just started typing in cities because I was curious. And I was like, St. Louis from my house, 303 miles is St. Louis from my front porch. And, so, um, and so, so, so think about it. These believers have been pushed out and they're making their way and they're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And these, there's a gathering of believers that have kind of planted their lives there in Antioch. And what we are going to see and be encouraged and reminded of in this young church, it's a young church in Antioch, the why of the church. Why is it that we're in this room right now or listening in online, gathered together? Why? Why do we do this? And we are going to be reminded of our why. In Acts 13, we're not going to get through the whole chapter. We're going to make it through about the first 14 verses. But in Acts 13, a lot of ground is covered. We start in Antioch of Syria. And from there, we are going to go to Cyprus. We're going to cover the whole island of Cyprus. And then we're going to go back across North over the Mediterranean to southern Turkey to another Antioch and, and Antioch of Pisidia. And so so we're going to start in Antioch and we're going to land in Antioch, but they're different Antiochs. And there's a lot of life that happens in between there. But one of the first things that we are going to see is the why of the church. And, and it is to gather for the glory of God and to live sent on the mission of God. If you look through scripture and you look for the purpose of the church. It is the glory of God. It is the mission of God. That is why we are here. The glory of God and the mission of God. And I hope that that, that will be a phrase that, that becomes lingo. Because that is our why. Because if there's any fishermen in the house, I love to fish. Grew up fishing. I mean, we, get, we, we, we haul the boat maybe to Pickwick. We lower the boat into the water. We cruise the boat over to the dock and we tie it to the dock or we tie it to a tree or we anchor it to the shore because we have to go put the truck back up 
and we don't want the boat to float away, right? Because if it's not tied, to, if it's not tired, if it's not anchored, if it's not secure, what's going to happen is you're going to end up somewhere where you never intended to be, and you might even, even completely lose your bearings on where you are. Rather, what this text does in Acts 13 is it anchors us in this day that we're living in. It anchors us as to why we are here. Why are we a church? And our why is the glory of God and the mission of God. If not, if we're not linked and tied, purpose drift can happen. And so we keep the purpose in front of us. Acts chapter 13 Verse 1, the Bible says this. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there was, there was, there was no New Testament in that time. Uh, they didn't have the convenience of grabbing the old and the new and having it right there with them. They're living the New Testament. It's, they're living it out. And so what they have was the apostles' teaching. You remember back in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. And so they would lean on these, uh, these prophets and teachers to share God's word with them. And I love this group of guys. You got Barnabas. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. Everybody needs a Barnabas. We all need those encouragers in our life. And, and maybe what we may not realize is that Barnabas obviously is a relatively new believer, having placed his faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. But before he was a believer, guess what? He was a Jewish priest. He was a Jewish priest in Cyprus, but yet radically transformed, trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So you got a former Jewish priest. you got Simeon called Niger. Most likely he was a believer from the continent of Africa. So, so, so he's up there. Uh, you got Lucius of Cyrene. He's in the mix. You got Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod Antipas. Which last week, we don't have the time to jump back into that. But the Herods were a mess. I mean, they, they were a mess. And yet here you got this, this, uh, this guy who's been a lifelong friend. I mean, talk about like all kinds of backgrounds. All kinds of experience. And then you got Saul. You got Saul, who was this fierce, passionate Pharisee, was trained under the rabbi Gamaliel. And in Acts 9, you, you read the story about his dramatic conversion. That on his way to end Christianity and to stop the gospel, he receives the gospel and becomes the greatest missionary that we have ever known. And so you got this, this, this band of, of, of leaders in this New work there in Antioch. And uh, I love the, 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 the different backgrounds, different places. But you know what? Every single one of them, perhaps like you, recipients of God's amazing grace. They never got over His grace, how God had transformed their lives. And so here they are and they're pouring into this young church. And uh, I love that, that unity in their diversity. It's a beautiful picture. And in verse 2 of Acts 13, the Bible says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So they had gathered as a church and they're worshiping. This is what the church does. People gathered for worship. They're devoting themselves to the, to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. They gather 
to glorify God. The gathering is all about God. This gathering is to worship Him. It's to honor Him. It's to celebrate Him. It's to magnify His name. It's to walk out of this place and for us to be completely amazed at the glory of God every time that we gather. We gather to worship the Lord. That is why we gather. But perhaps in your version of the Bible, the word that's used for worship, another word is ministering. In other words, they, they gather to minister. Let's think about that. They gather to minister to God. They're ministering to God. They're worshiping God. We, we perhaps have had those moments in our lives where we have had people minister to us. We've had people bless, as we say in the South, our hearts. Right? They bless our hearts. They minister to us. They speak words of life into our hearts. You're going through a challenging season and you're struggling and yet somebody is sensitive to what's going on. They care about you. Perhaps they're just present and don't say a word or perhaps they speak words of encouragement, words of life into your heart. And what happens? You are ministered to. How many times have you had a rough start to the day and perhaps you listen to some Jesus music riding down the road and then that song or a song pops up and you it's different than it is normally. And God uses it to minister to your heart, to bless your heart. After all that you've walked through and the struggle and the trial, somebody cares enough to speak in, pour in and this lift you up. This is what the church is doing. They are gathering to minister to God, to worship the Lord, to praise him. They're ministering to Him. And I'm, I'm asking myself this question. Okay, just honest question. Just think about it in your heart. But how many of us, as we got up this morning, and we got up, and we got dressed, and we grabbed some breakfast, and perhaps ran out the door in order to make it, how many of us have approached this gathering as an opportunity where we will minister to God? Where we will worship Him. Where we are here to lift Him up. We will be blessed. We will be ministered to. We do are equipped by the Word. We do share life. We gather to worship the Lord. I got an email from a friend this past week from down in Florida. It was a part of the, the faith family there that we were uh, part of. And he was just checking in. Sent an email. And, and, and they had kind of been looking for churches. And, and they had landed there and but but he left this sentence at the end of his of his email. He said this. He said, "We love worshiping at a church where Jesus is king." And I love that because that is why we're here. We gather to glorify God. We gather to worship Him. Psalm one hundred three verse one says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul; all that is within me, bless His holy name." Bless his name. Matthew 6, 9. Jesus says, I'm going to, the disciples, I'm going to teach them how to pray. When you pray, pray like this. Start here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, before we jump to the request, before we jump to the needs, before we all jump to those things that we urgently, desperately need his grace for and to answer and to help and to guide, we pause to adore who he is. 
that we worship Him for who He is. Isaiah 43.7 says this, the Word of the Lord says, everyone who is called by My name, and I love this, whom I created for My glory. That is why we are here. So be encouraged. God has a purpose for your life. We talk about that. His purpose for you is that you live, we live in relationship with Him, but that we also live a life that would reflect His glory. And so it is possible that you could be here and you are struggling to to find and know why there is a lack of fulfillment in your life. And it is possible to, to come here and wrestle with the fact that your joy has not what it used to be. Your joy has been robbed. It could be you're here and you kind of feel like maybe you, you're, you're not making a significant, meaningful impact. Or perhaps you're here and you have climbed the ladder, so to say, and you made it to the top. And when you made it to the top, you kind of looked around and then it, it kind of, it's, it's not what you thought it would be. And yet, in this text, we are encouraged and we are reminded that it is through our worship that we discover who God's made us to be and why He has created us. And we glorify Him and we honor Him. And I love this. While they worshipped, God spoke. I love that. While they worshipped, God spoke. That I would almost... I can almost sense like they're in Antioch, like they had this anticipation that as they're getting ready to go, they're like, we're going to gather together, brothers and sisters, family of God, we are going to lift up King Jesus, we're going to minister to the Lord, we're going to lift Him up, we're going to praise Him, and yet as they are there, that God is going to meet with them and speak in a powerful, powerful way. And so my question is, do you want to hear God? Do you want to hear His voice? And I'm not speaking audibly, but I'm speaking through the leadership of the Holy Spirit as a believer as He applies the truth of His Word to our hearts to lead us and to guide us and direct us. God can speak to you out loud if He wants to. God can do whatever He wants to. But God desires to speak to us. But if we don't stop and if we don't worship, we're going to miss His voice. We're going to miss that small, still voice But I have a feeling it wasn't so quiet here in Antioch. I think it was a pretty loud voice. Because in verse 2, the Bible says this. While they were worshiping, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. God's plan A. How will they know? The local church. How will they know? Believers who have been rescued by God's grace. How are they going to know? If those who have been rescued and powered by Spirit will in faith share the love of Jesus. That we, the church, were not rescued to sit in the hangar, if you will. We were designed to, to go. And sometimes that's across the street. Sometimes that's across the room. And sometimes that's across the other side of the planet. But we see we gather for the glory of God and we live sent on the mission of God. God is a missionary God. He's a missionary God. God's heart has always been to send. 
You think about Genesis 11 and 12, Father Abraham, arise and go. He didn't even tell him where he was going to take him. He just said, arise and go. Oftentimes, God just wants that act and step of obedience. He'll fill in the blanks as you go, right? It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And so, Abraham, go, trust. I'll show you the land. Why? So that all the nations through you will be blessed. Why? Because I'm sending you so that you can be a blessing. As believers, we are blessed to be a blessing. We have been blessed. And so it's going to be through Abraham that the Messiah will come. Jesus Christ is the model missionary, right? God came. For God so loved the world, He gave. He came. Jesus said this to His disciples, As my Father has sent me, I am sending you. A missionary God. He came to seek and to save the lost. This is His purpose. And the Holy Spirit is all about sending people out. And in an act of affirming this calling on Paul and Barnabas, the church gathered around them, they laid hands on them, and they commissioned them out. There's, there's nothing magical that's happening when their hands touch their shoulders or their back. What they're doing is they're laying their hands on an affirmation of the fact that God's hand is on them. That God has called them. And that when they go, they go with their support. They go with them. And they commission these brothers out to go, to go, to share the hope of Jesus with people who desperately need it. And so I think this is a good opportunity to be able to share um, just something we, uh, you know, just like every Sunday, it's hard to keep in front of us or, or in, in our first step class, we always take time to be able to share a little bit more about the great commission work that we are able to be a part of here at First Baptist. The reality is, is that as a local faith family, we are a part of the work here and we are also a part of the work all over the world. That as First Baptist, we are part of what's known as the Southern Baptist Convention. Another name for that is Great Commission Baptist. Uh, and, and what, just to kind of, kind of, kind of picture that is we are in cooperation with somewhere in the neighborhood of almost 50,000 other churches all across the world who network together and cooperate together in two specific ways. One way is we are committed to the word of God, that we are a people of the word, that as uh, as Southern Baptists, as Great Commission Baptists, we have a statement of faith. We call that the Baptist faith and message. And basically what it is, is it's a it's a it's a doctrinal statement that says what the Bible says. We affirm the word of God. We're people of the word. And so we are united in our commitment to God's word being infallible truth without any mixture of error. The word of God. And then we also contribute financially to what's called the cooperative program. And so what that means is as a church, we give a portion of our budget along with special offerings to what's called the cooperative program. Why? Because we cooperate with about 50,000 other churches. And because we do cooperate with other churches, we are able to be more effective in reaching the world for the gospel. And so it's kind of like this. I explain it like there's basically a big piggy bank in Nashville. And, and, and all these churches contribute... 
financially to this piggy bank. But listen to what happens with the dollars of this piggy bank. This is beautiful. Number one is we are a part of what is the largest church planting network on the planet called the North American Mission Board. That those dollars go to equip and train and plant churches all over North America. Uh, we've been able to introduce y'all to the Howard family at different times along the way. Pastor Daniel uh, introduced them a couple weeks ago when he prayed. This is, this is a family that has the calling of God on their life to plant a church. And so they are planting a brand new church in Cincinnati. And it is the work of the North American Mission Board and partner churches to help invest and start a brand new work. Our VBS this week, our kiddos, they raised over a thousand dollars, y'all, to go and help be a part of this new work. Like starting churches. I love that. Not only that, but as Southern Baptist, Great Commission Baptist, we are a part of the third largest relief organization in the entire world. There's Red Cross. We've all heard of that. There's Samaritan's Purse. We've probably all heard of that. And then there is Send Relief through the Southern Baptist Convention. And Disaster Relief. We have a team of men, women who invest. And when disaster strikes, they're there. They're boots on the ground. They're serving. That we have six seminaries. That because of that cooperative giving, we have six seminaries where men, women called to ministry, surrendered to ministry, can go to these seminaries and they can be trained. And they can be equipped to pursue God's call on their life. And here's the beauty of it. I, I am not only a something I'm a client. What is that? There's that little phrase like, like not only do I believe in it, but I'm a client. Like I have been blessed. You know, you know, y'all know what I'm trying to say, right? Um, but, but here's the thing. Like I was able to go to seminary at, the, at a fraction of what it cost to be trained and to be equipped because of the faithful giving of Great Commission Baptist. It's beautiful. I love this. The International Mission Board is the largest international mission sending agency in the entire world. That as of June, we have 3,636 on-site personnel missionaries in the farthest corners of the globe. Because we give cooperatively to make the mission go, to send the mission out further. And just, uh, and actually when we're wrapped up with this service, the, the, we, we have an annual meeting, it's called the Southern Baptist Convention, and my bride and I are going to be heading that way, it's in, it's in Nashville, and, and listen to what we're going to be able to be a part of tomorrow at 4.30. Tomorrow at 4.30 there's what's called the International Mission Board Sending Commissioning Celebration, which means that we will see 86 missionaries who have surrendered to the call of missions, who have walked through the process, who have been trained, who have been equipped, who have been poured into. And these 86 missionaries and their families will be leaving to go all over the world to share the hope of the gospel. We will be able to see their faces and know their names, except for some. There will be some that we will not be able to see their face in the sending celebration. There will be some that we will not know their names. All we know is that they are going to what's called closed countries. Which means they are going to the hard to reach places 
with the gospel where persecution is alive and well. It is a beautiful thing to see all of these going. And we're a part of that work. And the question is why? Why would somebody go for the glory of God and for the mission of God? Verse 4 verse of chapter 13 says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God and in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John there to assist them. They're leaving Antioch, Syria. They're headed to the island of Cyprus. And, and if you remember, there is one of those guys who happens to be from Cyprus he is the Jewish priest, and his name is Barnabas. Barnabas. Barney is going back to Cyprus. He's going back home. I, and I don't know, I wasn't there how it all played out, but I just wonder if there wasn't a little bit of excitement for Barnabas to be able to go back to Cyprus. To be able to go to a place that he called home, perhaps a place that he grew up. To be able to take the hope of the gospel to this place that he cared about, had a burden about, who was passionate about. And so here they go and they make their way down to Barnabas, taking the gospel to his home. And, and just keep in mind, like he knows this is not going to be an easy road. They're in Antioch because of the persecution. Suffering awaits all those who desire to live a godly life. It's going to happen. So they know there's going to be persecution, but yet it's the why. It's the glory of God and it's the mission of God that, that, that empowers them to continue to move forward and take the gospel forward. And it reminded me of Barnabas going back home. It kind of reminded me and challenged me in that my home is the starting point for gospel ministry. My home, literally the four walls of our home that discipleship is designed to start there and, and outflow from there. That perhaps we would be encouraged that we would live the gospel out in our homes, leading in worship, investing the word in the lives of those who we love most. It said this, Paul Purvis has said that there is a reality that our children will not prioritize what we marginalize. So there's this, this desire that that, that this hope, but the, the kind of the, the theme or the, the principle here is that our kids will never prioritize what we marginalize. And I say that as I have four of my children in this room spread out. <laughs> and, uh, and so there's accountability there. And so I spiritually lead our home. Shane Pruitt of the North American Mission Board said this. He shared a four-generation fade. He said, step one, parents... Don't make the gathering of, for worship a high priority for their kids. Step two, kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Three, those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. And step four, those kids grow up with no concept of God. And so this encouragement of priorities, gospel priorities, and we see that the church has gathered for the glory of God and they are living sent on the mission of God. In verse 6, the Bible says, when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And he was with the proconsul, so that's like a governor, a Roman governor. His name is Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. 
who summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas is the magician, for that is the meaning of his name. He opposed them and seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. But Saul, who was called Paul. And I want to just take a moment there. And this is where we begin to see Saul known as Paul. He's had those two names his whole life. One is a Hebrew name. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Roman name. And so Paul is going to be a missionary to the Gentile world. And so he will use his Gentile name. He is Paul. Paul the missionary. Verse 9. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked intently at him and he said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. There's a lot in that little passage of scripture. But one is that when you walk in the spirit, pull of the spirit. That it is sometimes and often difficult to communicate truth. Hard truth that people may not receive well. He is he is. Bringing judgment on this brother as he's full of the spirit. And, and listen to what he says. He says, and now behold, again in verse 11, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Now, he just called him a son of the devil, full of villainy. But you're going to be blind for a time. And, and it's, it's possible that if we get in our flesh a little bit, we're like, well, why didn't he just blind him for like his life? I mean, this guy's obviously he is far from God. He obviously has no uh, love for Jesus at all. Like he is he is an enemy. But yet Paul says for a time. And if we think back to Paul's conversion in Acts nine, what happened to Saul on that road? He was blinded and he was blinded for a few days and in God's grace sent Ananias and the scales fell off and he saw again and the world has never been the same. Could it be that Paul had a grace and a mercy toward this brother who was so far from God and even an enemy God that he knew how fresh that darkness was in his own life and how God can do a lot of work in the dark. That he works. He's always working. And then even in this moment, could it be that Paul in mercy knows that this could be a turning point for this magician. But he pours in. He pours in in verse 12. The Bible says, and then the pro council, I love it, believed. And when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos. And they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. It's worth, it's worth mentioning that John Mark left the work. John Mark left the work. We have no idea why John left the work. 
We, if you remember John Mark, he was the one when Peter was in prison and there was a prayer service going on in Mary's house. Mary is his mom. That's his home. And so, so, so she's perhaps a widow. We don't know for sure. Uh, but, but John Mark is with Uncle Barnabas or Cousin Barnabas. And so they're, they're tracking and, and they've left Antioch. They've gone to Cyprus. And between Cyprus and southern Turkey, John Mark... Uh, John Mark goes back to Jerusalem. He goes back home. We don't know why. It could be that uh, perhaps it was too weighty. It was too much. Uh, perhaps he was sick. Perhaps he was jealous of, of Paul kind of taking this leadership role over his cousin. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that could have happened. Maybe he is homesick. Maybe the pressure and the persecution was too much. We don't know. But what we do know is Acts 15, and we're going to be there in a couple weeks, there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas when it came time for the second missionary journey. And the word that Paul uses for depart there in Acts 15, it communicates uh, to revolt or to rebel. In other words, there was, there was something that happened that, that for Paul it was like, no, he, he can't come. But here's what's awesome. And we don't know the whole picture. But at the end of Paul's ministry in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's one of the last sentences of a letter that he wrote to the church. He says this in 2 Timothy 4 verse 9. Do your best. He's talking to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Good old Dr. Luke. He's by his side. But he says, get Mark. He's talking about John Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for ministry. And I love that. We don't know all that happened. But we know this. That ultimately there was restoration and healing that took place. And the gospel continued to move forward. And it's possible. It's possible that God has put a call on our lives, that there's perhaps a very specific act of obedience that, that the Lord has placed on our hearts. Um, the Holy Spirit's work is unique to the believer. We're perhaps all in different places along the journey, but, but, but we have those times or those moments or those acts of obedience that we know that the Lord is calling us to. And perhaps there's been a moment somewhere along the way that we kind of took our eyes off of that that step of obedience, that act of obedience, that thing that we know God has called us to. And yet, for whatever reason, we went home. But I love the encouragement of the scripture, the hope of the word of God. The, the beauty of the gospel is that what we know is that evidently Paul never gave up on John Mark. Barnabas never gave up on John Mark. And by God's grace and time, healing and restoration came and John Mark was back at it and so be encouraged that there is a path forward failure is never final and there is still time to obey and I just think that's important for us to hear because we can kind of think back like oh it's too late now oh there's this oh this no if, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in your heart to take a step of obedience it's never ever ever too late and in verse 14, finish up with this verse here. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. They started in Antioch, Syria. 
Went down to Cyprus, all across the island, and then up to uh, southern Turkey there at Antioch of Pisidia. And I think this is just a great reminder. Why? Why? Why did they go? Why did they give up everything? Why did they go to an island? Why did they endure persecution? Why were they so uh, passionate about just this, even just like stepping out when there were so many unknowns? And it was simply this is that the Holy Spirit commanded them to go and they obeyed. They obeyed. And they obeyed because of the glory of God and for the mission of God. And that was their why. It was the why 2,000 years ago. And it's the same why that we have today. That we live for His glory and for His mission. So as we look at this text, perhaps, perhaps today, it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to, to, to pursue worshiping the Lord. That, that maybe even a, a new perspective of that time where we come and we open our word and we read the word and we pray that we would even like build in some ministering to God time. Like praise Him for who He is. Adore Him for who He is. Because what happens is, is, that, is that living scent and evangelism flow out of personal worship. It becomes the overflow of the believer's life because your heart is so full of the love of Jesus, it overflows into the lives of those around you. And so it could be that it's in the area of living sin. We live for God's glory. We live for God's mission. And perhaps it's, 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 there's this like healthy conviction that you are a redeemed rescued, forgiven, full of the Holy Spirit believer. And to be reminded for all of us that we are not designed to stay on the tarmac or stay in the hangar, but that God has equipped us with every resource we need, His Word and His Spirit, to go and share His hope and His love with those around us. And so it could even be today, Father, would You give me the eyes to see And would you reveal to me this opportunity to share your love and your hope with somebody this week? Help me to live like an airplane. (laughs) Help me to live sin. Or perhaps uh, it's, uh, it's praying, just praying. Praying that God would intercede and rise up. You know what I, I hope that we're able to be a part of here at First Baptist? I hope that we are able to be a part of commissioning service after commissioning service after commissioning service after commissioning service. I pray that we will have an opportunity to send out those men who surrender to the call to pastor. That we will be able to lay our hands on them and go with them and encourage them and support them and send them out. I pray that we have men and women in our church that, that the, the call to missions and, and serving the Lord, perhaps even overseas, that we would have the opportunity to be able to, to, to come alongside them, to lay hands on them, and to commission them out. I pray that we would be able to be a part, perhaps, perhaps someone in the room, someone listening in online, but would, would be compelled to be raised up to plant a church and that we could come alongside and be a part of that work. That, that we literally would be a place where we are able to lay our hands 
in the affirming way of how God has already laid His hand on them and to see them sent out that this is the design of the church. And so by God's grace, that we would be a sending, sending church. And then lastly, I would just encourage us always to just, let's just, it's always good to, to just land in the gospel, isn't it? Like, for the believer, I can't say it enough to my heart. Like, I can't hear enough the fact that there is nothing that I could ever do that would make God love me more. And there's nothing I've ever done that would make God love me less. Like, that's what makes the good news the good news. We're, we're so, perhaps we grow up with this, this conditional love thing. Like, as long as you do, act, perform, or reach a standard, then you get affirmation. But if you don't quite hit the standard, you, you, you just like, I'm a failure. But rather, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. Not just to the lost, but to the believer. And so we live in the gospel. But perhaps you're here and you're in the room or listening online and you, if the question came to you, if this question came to you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? How would you answer that? And, and I would say that if you are unsure, that if you are 99% unsure, I believe that for those who are in Christ, there is a peace, there is a security, there is a rest. And so for anybody who's here who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, I would encourage you, today is the day of salvation. At the end of Acts chapter 13, I just want to read this and then I'm going to pray. Paul's first recorded sermon is this. He says in verse 26, Brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So you want to be saved? I want you to hear the message of salvation. He says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him being Christ, nor understand the utterances of the prophets who told them that the Messiah was coming, that which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. And though they found in Him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have Him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of Him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as far as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. He said in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption, speaking of Christ. He said for David, King David, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers. I love this. That through this man, through this man, through Jesus Christ, the God-man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed 
from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And down in verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The Bible is so clear. God is so gracious to have given us His word. And Jesus' word is true. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so we say, well, what does that look like? Well, it begins with understanding we need to be rescued. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we realize we need to be saved because we are sinners and our sin has separated us from a holy God. God's holy, we're not. There's a big gap there. And we can't cross it on our own and we can't fix it on our own. That's why for God so loved the world, that means you. Fill in the blank with your name. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That the Bible says that the wages of sin, in other words, the payment of our sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That if you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we see in Scripture, how do you begin that relationship? You realize you need a relationship. And you realize your sin separates you from the Lord. And you repent. It means you change your mind about your sin. It's a change of direction. It's a change of mind. And you turn from sin and self. And you turn to King Jesus. And you believe that Jesus is who He says He is. He's the Son of God. The God-man. Lived a perfect life. Died on the cross for our sin, was placed in the tomb, and he rose again from the dead. And the Bible says, if you confess with Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means he's in control. That means you yield your will to his will as Lord. Or as I say with the kids, as boss of your life. He's the ruler. And the Bible says that in Christ you are forgiven. In Christ, you are justified. In Christ, you are sanctified. In Christ, you have a the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. As believers, we get the opportunity to live on mission for Him and for His glory. And we get to share this love with those around us. A world that desperately needs Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of the church at Antioch. That they gathered, they worshipped, they ministered to you, they're fasting, they're praying, they're sensitive to your leading, they hear your voice, they lay hands on this team and the gospel goes out. God, may we live for your glory. May we live for your mission. May we be worshipers of you, lovers of you. Seek first the kingdom and all the other stuff is added. Everything else takes care of itself. Father, I pray today as the gospel went to Cyprus, as the gospel went to Antioch, God, the gospel has come to our ears today. And I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that today would be the day of salvation. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
I want to invite you to stand with me, and we're just going to have a time of response. And so we could, as pastors, pray over you. We would love to do that. If you want to pray at the altar, feel led to do that. Uh, but we just want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's lead and honor Him today.